Okay, friends, thank you for joining me. We're picking up the story in part two this week of the story of Jacob and Laban and these two tricky characters and their su supposed agreement with each other. We're covering the second half of Genesis chapter 30, looking at verses 25 to 43 today. If you remember last time, we, we looked at the point of how they agreed together to divide the flocks in the future and we looked at the deal that they made and in the message today we're going to look at how they implement that deal and how it works out going forward. Anyway, that's what we're going to be doing today but thank you again for joining me on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Before we kick into the main study, quick reminder that there's always a uh, transcript available of each and every one of the talks that I've done, and that's available on any audio version of the podcast website. doesn't matter where you're receiving your podcast from, whether it be Apple or Amazon or iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're receiving it from, there'll be an episode notes page, and within that there'll be a transcript. And there'll also be some chapter markers with the slightly longer version of the podcast, dividing the podcast into chapter breaks, where if you want, you can take a break or identify just exactly to the part of the podcast that you want to drop into. Other point worth mentioning is that there are some links there to all the various ways of connecting with me, as well as a link to my Patreon page, which I'll come back to at the end and give you a bit more details. Also, quick reminder, everything I do is yours to do with what you want. I put it in the public domain. So whether it be the actual talks or the text of those talks, you're free to use them in whatever way you want in the preparation of any Bible teaching or study or maybe even talks or preaching that you might be called to do. You're very welcome to reconstitute them and use them in whatever way you do. A credit's always appreciated for my, my work. It's not necessary. I'm happy for you to take them and run with them in whatever way you feel helps you in your walk with the Lord or helps others. Now, if you're watching the podcast on video on YouTube or Facebook or somewhere like that, you need to then use the link there to the audio to drop through to get those resources. There's links there to lots of different things, Facebook, YouTube, other ways I do my ministry, Patreon, of course. But anyway, that's it for today. I hope you're really enjoying and benefiting from your time in God's Word every day. And uh, with that, we'll jump into the main study itself and uh, pick up from there. I'll see you again right back at the end. Okay, here we are continuing the story of Jacob and Laban, these two, some might say, dodgy characters and their attempts to come up with some negotiated deal between them. And this is part two of my two-part study covering the text of second half of Genesis chapter 30. And today we'll be looking at the closing section covering verses 25 to 43. And I've given these couple of podcasts the working title of Getting Rich Quick really should be a question mark at the end of that. So we're picking up the story, you'll remember, at the point where they agreed how they were going to divide the flocks into the future. So the first part of this passage that we looked at yesterday is the deal itself that they made. And the second part of this passage today is how that deal is going to be implemented. We're actually going to see how it works out in the real world, how it works out from this point forward. So we'll drop back in and we'll pick up the text 
in verse 35, where it tells us, So he, that's Laban obviously it's referring to, removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and he gave them into the hands of his sons. Now let's just back up a few verses to verse 32 where we heard about this deal last time. Let me remind you of what it said. And this is Jacob speaking. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. Those shall be my wages. So the deal that Laban had made with Jacob was that he could separate them But when they get down to implementing the deal and dividing the sheep, Laban, immediately behind Jacob's back, does it, before Jacob has a chance to do it. Now this immediately tells us, well, it gives us an insight into the character of Laban again, doesn't it? And also draws attention to the fact that A, he doesn't trust Jacob, and that he's also not going to honour the deal. If that wasn't bad enough, the deal was, if you remember, that Jacob would take care of his flocks, And that by doing what they'd agreed he could do, that would be the way in which he would earn wages, right? But instead of letting Jacob have access to the flock, he's given that part of the flock, or most of it already, to his own sons. So this is another indication of just how tricky this character is. And we will also see that not only does he do that, he clearly still doesn't trust Jacob at all. Because look what he does in the next verse. Then he puts three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So there's Jacob, dutifully, diligently doing what he expected to do, not aware of what's happened, and Laban has taken what should have been Jacob's sheep, and he's given them to his own sons, and then he gets them to head off three days' journey away. So there's a distance of three days between his family and Jacob, who's been left here. So clearly taking steps to guarantee that Jacob does not only receive what he should have received, but doesn't have the opportunity to deceive him either. Clearly he simply doesn't trust Jacob, no matter what he says. But we have to remember, we are dealing with two tricky characters here, two deceivers. So now it's Jacob's turn, and let's have a look at how he implements this deal. Now we're going to get to something really interesting because we will now see Jacob and his attempts to manipulate this situation to his advantage. Now it's a little involved and rather convoluted so we need to navigate through these coming verses rather carefully but if we pay attention I think we can get to the root of it and we'll pick up the story in verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods, which means branches, of green poplar and the almond of the chestnut tree, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods, the branches. So he takes the branches and there are three types of trees mentioned here and he strips the bark back so that the white part of the branch underneath is showing. It then tells us in the next verse, Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs, so that they would be directly in front of the troughs when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat, they would come to drink. So the sheep and the goats gather in the heat, and they gather before these strip branches that are around 
and in the troughs and they mate in that area uh, and it appears that when they give birth they actually give birth to speckled and spotted offspring. So that's not normally what you would expect to happen if sheep were mating ordinarily in that way. So what's going on? Well, let's see if we can sort this out. However, keep in mind that Jacob only had Laban's sheep at this beginning, and they'd already been stripped to a great extent of all the spotted and speckled varieties of the sheep. And we see he's taken branches of both the poplar and the almond and the chestnut tree, and he's peeled back the bark so that the right branches uh, they will appear white because they're stripped of the bark, and he places those stripped branches in and around the water trough. And in the fullness of time, it would appear that the normal coloured sheep of Laban's flock that he's caring for, they come forward and they mate and conceive in that area, and when they give birth, they give birth to mixed coloured offspring. Does that strike you as odd? What in the world does this mean and what's going on here? Is it possible that stripped branches in drinking water could produce odd coloured sheep? That's the question. Now we can see a little bit of manipulation going on here. It's reasonable to say that by surrounding the troughs with all these branches, it would mean that perhaps some of the weaker sheep wouldn't get through to drink enough. So there may be a way of, in a sense, selective breeding out the stronger ones of the sheep. But what's this about coloured sheep being produced in the area by the strange method. Now as you can imagine the further you go into this you can open up a bit of a can of worms as Bible commentators while some go a little bit crazy trying to explain this and what it means. Now this is one of those situations yeah well studying the Bible can be really interesting and it's interesting to see that if you go back particularly into the Victorian times and the early commentaries the different and all the gymnastics that people come up with and all the theories they come up with to try and explain this. Let me tell you just some of the theories that have been offered over the years and some that people still hold dearly to today. Now one very common view of the time in, of a few hundred years ago with scientific ideas coming through that in fact this was really just a representation of a popular superstition at the time. There was a common belief that a vivid sight during conception or pregnancy would have an effect on an embryo. You've got to remember that up to about 300 years ago, no one had any idea of what really happened in the the pregnancy phase. In humans, never mind animals. And there was a great belief right up until the 19th century that the, the sex even of a human child could be determined by the state even the temperature, some said, whether someone was hot or cold or not during the conception. So strange theories did abound for many years up to very recently. And then there are some others who take the scientific approach and would argue that the chemicals in the wood of those trees was capable of affecting the animals. One commentator I read said that new scientific evidence suggested that was possible. They then didn't go on to quote what that scientific evidence was, and this was written about 80 years ago. And then, of course, there is the other option that Jacob could have just been using selective breeding. And that would eventually enable him to develop a flock predominantly of spotted 
unspeckled animals because this story doesn't just take place overnight it takes place over a period of a number of years perhaps the peel branches were just a strategy to draw the sheep to the area because the animals would think there would be good food to eat there and therefore the whole thing was just Jacob's attempt to use the local superstitions of that time to practice and to cover up his secret selective breeding practices. Now, whatever the explanation is, I'm not sure, and you can reasonably as a Christian believer accept any of them, but I do know that getting too wrapped up and trying to find the situation and try and working it out, you can't up missing the main point that the text trying to tell us, which is that Jacob was using an act of deception. It was designed from day one to create a situation that would mislead Laban. And one commentator I read said, when Jacob later explains this to his wife, he does suggest that what's happened. But what we can know for sure, he is definitely trying to manipulate this situation to gain a numerical statistical advantage among the sheep over Laban. So he comes up with this really interesting and convoluted scheme. And I'm going to call it, because it has a feeling to me a bit like an ancient get-rich-quick scheme. He thinks, I'm going to peel the bark from the branches, put them in the water trough, and by doing that, it's going to, at some level, create a scenario where I'll be able to produce speckled and spotted animals. Which, remember, was the agreed deal that if that were to happen, then he would be allowed to keep those. And that... If it did happen, to a large degree, he would then become a very rich man. Now I suspect some people are coming to this passage and they see the whole bark and plants and animals and water and manipulation. They see it all as a bit of a fantasy. But the important thing is to think, what is the end result of the scheme? What was the outcome? Well, the next few verses will tell us. It says... The sheep indeed, they did mate. They mated in front of the branches, it says, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. And Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself, and he did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches, but if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. So again, this is about manipulating the breeding program, trying to manipulate the situation so that he will become a wealthy man because of the reproduction of the animals coming out in his favour. And he deliberately has a way of identifying the stronger ones and he takes that sets those apart and lets the, the weak ones naturally end up in Laban's camp, Laban's field, so to speak. And then the conclusion to this story is in verse 3. And it says to us, In this way the man grew, talking about Jacob, exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys also. So the bottom line is, it worked. He did get rich. The scheme worked and he ends up exceedingly wealthy. Now I notice the text specifically doesn't bother to explain how 
this selective breeding program work. It gives us no real detail of how it works, but it does tell us that that's what happened in the end. But if you keep reading through the narrative of Genesis, you do discover more about what will really happen. I'll just jump ahead because I'm sure you'd like to know the end of the story. Now we're going to be coming back to chapter 31 and looking at the main text in detail of what that narrative's explaining. But within that, there's a little verse that explains to some degree what has gone on here in this preceding chapter. And it happens when Jacob is trying to explain to his wives his way of saying what has happened and why they now need to leave. And in the process of that explanation, he says to his wives, Rachel and Leah, God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Now, was it the scheme that worked? Do you think it was the striped branches that helped produce the odd colours? Well, I'm not really sure. In fact, I would say no, not really. When it comes down to it, Jacob himself, when explaining what happened to his wives and giving the reason why they should leave the land and go back to his background, he simply says, no, God did this. It was God, in the end of the day, who blessed me and made me wealthy. So, there we go. Let's put this chapter 30 now all together, and I'd just like to make some closing observations. This is a rather straightforward story in some ways, though surprising in its detail and the elements and the twists and turns were in it. The bottom line is, when you look at the whole chapter, we see Jacob and Laban making an agreement together, but afterwards they both try and take advantage of each other. They both were deceivers and they both try and scheme the other one out of their part of the agreement. But God, as always, overrules in every situation and he makes Jacob a wealthy man simply because that's what he promised he would do. So what are we to conclude in this passage? What can we learn from it? Well, I'd like to close by making two observations. Firstly, Jacob, you can't question the fact that he did work for his wealth. Regardless of how he did it, he still had to care for all those animals that belonged to Laban. He had to manage the sheep and the breeding program and run teams of shepherds and servants. I think you could draw from this passage the normal way to wealth will usually involve a great deal of work and toil, as the Bible calls it. And that is clearly seen here. It is clearly part of what's involved, a great part of what's involved in the creation of wealth in this passage. Although it's not put at the forefront, it's clearly there implied. It's in the background. It's in the DNA of this story. And secondly, his scheming was not the primary reason that the blessing that he received and the growth of his material blessing worked in his favour. Based on the fact that in the very next chapter, he says himself, when describing what has happened to him, to other people, is that it was the Lord that did all of this. So in the final analysis, the get-quick-rich scheme did not work, which is usually the case with such schemes. It wasn't the scheme, it was in fact the Lord. So that brings me to the last point that I want to make, namely, that the Lord did this, but the important part was Jacob got to the point where he was able to acknowledge that. What this story draws attention to is when it came down to the fact that he needed to put all of these events in some sort of context, 
when he was doing that by talking to his wives, he admitted that it was the Lord that brought the blessing, not his cleverness, not his schemings, not his machinations. One commentator I read, which I kind of feel hits the nail on the head, it says, God blessed Jacob in spite of his actions, not because of them. Now, clearly this gives us an insight into the fear facts of the way the world works that many worldly people prosper materially for the same reason. Material prosperity is not necessarily a reward for godliness. Jacob made his own fortune to a degree, yes, but the text says that God allowed Jacob to become wealthy and he did that through hard work. There was no doubt that element of deception, uh, that element of Jacob's personality behind it. And perhaps you could argue the case that God could have done even more for Jacob and his family uh, if he'd handed over all the situations to him. If Jacob had placed himself under God's authority, he probably would have been blessed even more because that's what God usually does. That is the normal character of God we see betrayed throughout the whole Bible. The reason for this section in the Bible is, so when we as people experience God's material blessings, we need to get to the point where we can acknowledge it, that it primarily comes from him rather than our own abilities. He will use our own abilities, but the blessing is still from him. And I think that that really puts the finger on the pulse of this passage. So let me repeat, I believe the main lesson of this section of the chapter is that people should be able to recognize those people who experience the blessing of God in their lives, particularly material blessings, need to acknowledge that it all came from him rather than just their own abilities, because your own abilities are God-given anyway. Now, that at no point also should deny the fact that there may be hard work involved on your part, but you should always acknowledge that God is the one who brings the blessing and prospers his children. One commentary I read said, those who experience the material prosperity must acknowledge that it is a blessing from the Lord, not a product of their own limited ability. So the lesson of this passage, I believe, is primarily a call to acknowledge the true source of any success that we might have in life. If God promises to bless his people, then surely that promise tells it that nothing will stop him doing that, but also that if God determines not to bless someone, then nothing will potentially alter that situation outside of turning to him. So here's what I want you to walk away from this passage with today. I want you to ask the question of yourself, has God blessed you? Has God blessed you in any way today? If he has, praise him. Has God blessed you and have you worked hard? And maybe God has blessed you and both of those statements are true. But that what this passage is teaching us as it bleeds into the next chapter, it's really rounding the whole thing up and saying, you know, however it works out, whatever blessings you achieve in life and whatever material prosperity you achieve in Christ, it is important always to acknowledge the part of God in it and the fact that the results of it are the blessings of God. So next time, maybe you drive a car. Maybe next time you get in it, you should acknowledge where it came from. Next time you sit at home at night, you should realize that your home 
is not just a result of your hard work. I'm sure that that was involved in anything that you've achieved in life. But what this passage is teaching us, regardless of that, we should never forget to acknowledge that the Lord is actually the source of that blessing. We need to acknowledge the Lord in everything we have and everything we do. I think I mentioned this before at one time, but when I was a young man, I drove some very silly cars. And sometimes when I got into those cars, I'd wonder if they start. Today, I thank the Lord that when I get into a car and turn the key, it usually starts. And I thank the Lord because as a young man, I got into a car many times and it did not start. So whatever it is you do in life, whatever it is you appear to achieve in life, please remember to always acknowledge the Lord. It may, to some extent, have involved your hard work and you're using your ability, but it all, in reality, really just depended on the Lord. And any blessings that you have, in the end of the day, they came through him. So always acknowledge and thank him for any blessings that you have in this life. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, I'd like to remind you that we have, you have access, if you want, to lots of my other teachings on my Patreon website, including some long-form versions of Bible study and teachings I've done alongside appearing very soon will be some discipleship courses. Now, one of which I'll be launching in the next couple of months is a guide, a guidebook, if you like, some guidelines on expository preaching. So if you've ever thought of leading Bible studies or developing or nurturing a preaching or teaching gift that either you or others have said that you've got, then I want to try and help disciple you, equip you and help you to know how to prepare expository preaching resources. Uh, so that's going to appear on my Patreon website very soon. There are also going to be links there to some other teaching and talks I've done in secular environments. By becoming a patron, which you can do from just two pounds a month, you are what you are actually doing is you're primarily you're supporting me and the main, my main ministry, which is the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Because there are considerable costs in keeping this teaching and putting it and keeping it on the internet and by doing that you're enabling that teaching to stay free for anybody who wants it and you're also enabling that podcast to reach more and more people to get the daily word of God into the lives of more and more people. Another thing worth mentioning is if you feel that you enjoy it or benefit from it then why not share it with other people? Why not like it or share it or subscribe to it? Because by doing that, that naturally enables the Bible studies to appear more widely, to be more visible on the internet and whatever these the platforms that you're sharing it on that you currently uh, exist in. It really helps the Word of God get out there and I believe, and I, I'm sure you do too, you wouldn't be here, that it really change lives and ultimately through the gospel it will save lives. But anyway, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I'd just like to thank you again. I could not do this without you. Just by watching it, and I see the numbers that watch it, you encourage me and I covet your prayerful support for this ongoing ministry. But that's it for today. 
we'll launch off in a new section tomorrow in chapter 31. So I do hope you'll be back here again very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.